Welcome to the Man Cave. It's the Man Cave Football Podcast with Dan Gasper. Hey, hey, it is the Man Cave Football Podcast. I'm Dan Casper, your host as always. Hey, we're changing things up uh, with uh, with the Man Cave Football Podcast. Going to do a couple different segments here. Uh, we're going to change a little things up, kind of make it a little bit more interesting, hopefully a little bit more fun. But I uh, appreciate you tuning in to another episode of the Man Cave Football Podcast. Reminder, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever your favorite podcasts are found. iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. You name it, we're out there. So make sure you subscribe. Give us give us a good review out there so more people can find the Man Cave Football Podcast. So uh, we got lots to talk about in this kind of a, should we call it a reboot of the Man Cave Football Podcast? We're going to do a segment called Four Down Territory, my four topics that I want to discuss in this week's Man Cave Football Podcast. Also, we've got uh, my power rankings. Just my top five teams. Not going to go through all 32 teams, just the top five. Uh, we've got uh, questions. So if you ever have a question, you can send it to me. Twitter, find me on Facebook, uh, email, whatever have you. Send me a question. I'll answer one, maybe a couple of them uh, in each episode. So we've got that coming uh, up as well. And then extra point. That's where we're going to be ending uh, each episode with with a little extra point. That could either be one more topic uh, that I want to discuss that I didn't get in the four-down territory or an interview uh, with uh, with anybody out there, like uh, some of our, our uh, NFL friends out there, football friends, historians, all that stuff. So that's uh, extra point, and that's how we're going to be closing out each podcast episode from here on out. But let's get it started with four-down territory. First down. First down, I want to look at the NFC North because this is an intriguing division and for many people, uh, the best division in football. Uh, the NFC West uh, for is up there as well. A lot of other people may consider the NFC West the best division in football right now. Still, for me, NFC North is hanging on by a thread that they're the best division in football, in my opinion, right now. And it was quite the weekend uh, for, for all these teams, the Packers, Bears, Vikings, and Lions, and maybe for different reasons. Uh, but let's start off with the Packers, since they are leading the division right now. Uh, career day for Aaron Rodgers. Kind of hard to believe, though, at the same time. The guy who has the best all-time quarterback rating in history, Aaron Rodgers, finally had his perf- perf- first perfect quarterback rating to end the game. Uh, five touchdown passes. I had another one rushing, so six total touchdown passes. Uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, leading the Packers to victory over the Raiders, and this was a game when no Devontae Adams again. Uh, the Packers didn't know if they were going to have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Geronimo Allison. They were in the game. Valdez-Scantling with two big catches and a touchdown. Only played 20 snaps. I, I know a lot is being made about whether the Packers' offense should get another receiver, maybe a more veteran uh, type of receiver, but you know, this is why Matt LaFleur was kind of brought in to, to to incorporate this offense that spreads the ball around. Now, when Devonta Adams gets back, of course, he's going to get the majority of the targets. And rightfully so. He should be. But when he's down and when he's been out for these last few games, this is supposed to be one of the benefits of this offense. Spreading the ball around. Getting the running backs involved in the passing game. We're seeing that with Aaron Jones. We're seeing that with Jamal Williams. We're seeing it with Danny Vitale, uh, the fullback, spreading it across all those different wide receivers and including the tight end. So it's different than 
the Mike McCarthy offense where they were so predicated on having the stud-wide receivers out there and winning their one-on-one matchups. LaFleur comes in, brings in his style of offense. It's supposed to be spread out. So while I, I still would like to maybe see a veteran added to this roster, to me, it's not that much of a bigger need, considering what we've been seeing with this offense, too. I mean, since week three, the Packers' offense, leading leading the league in points, leading the league in yards per play, guys are starting to get more comfortable within this offense, understanding this offense. Lafleur, the play caller, starting to understand what his players do best, putting them in a position to succeed. So yeah, I, I wouldn't complain I wouldn't disagree if the Packers added a veteran wide receiver, but I don't know if it's that much of a big uh, necessary need at this point. I, I, I don't know at this point. Uh, now, if Devontae Adams suffers a setback and, and he's out for an extended period of time, then obviously that does maybe expedite the need of that. But Packers may have to make a move before that. I mean, if they don't, then they're maybe stuck with, with this with this receiving core as it is right now. But uh, overall, I mean, you look at this Packers team, defense yeah, struggle a little bit, especially covering the tight end uh, against the Raiders. I give a lot of credit to Derek Carr and John Gruden for the play calling on that. The Packers have to shore up some stuff, uh, again, allowing some big plays on that defense. It's kind of been one of their bugaboos uh, so far with this defense. Uh, still, defense is a lot better than what we've seen the last few years over there in Green Bay. But if this offense continues to play like it has been every single week, getting better and better and better. This is a dangerous offense. And when you have a guy at quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, where he's able to spread the ball around, and he's playing within a system that schemes his receivers open, and you're establishing a running game with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, it's a pretty, pretty dangerous uh, pretty dangerous offense right there. Then you're looking at the Bears. Is there trouble in Chicago right now? I mean, they're towards the bottom in the league. One of the worst teams are running the ball, and that's what they should be doing. That's what they should be doing. They're, now, they're going to be ever haunted by the their choice to trade up one spot to draft Mitchell Trubisky a couple years ago in the draft, not electing to go get Patrick Mahomes when they could have or Deshaun Watson when they could have. They're going to be haunted by that as long as Trubisky is – Average, below average, maybe just a little bit above average, or until he wins a Super Bowl. That's just the fact. It's going to be like that. You're starting to hear that a little bit more right now. But Chicago's got some issues. They're not running the ball. Their defense kind of maybe slipping up a little bit here. I mean, the Vikings just tore them apart. Kirk Cousins is on a tear. We're going to talk about him coming up here in a little bit in this NFC North, uh, you know, recapping this NFC North. The Bears, I think, are in some serious trouble right now. You know, Matt Nagy, second-year head coach, making some questionable comments uh, after the game, saying, uh, we're not going to let the media break us up. We're not going to let negative attention break us up. You know, I think that's one of the uh, biggest obstacles for second-year head coaches when they've had success in their first year, especially Nagy, who kind of, uh, you know, got to play calling a little bit with Kansas City the year prior under Andy Reid. But Matt Nagy last year was a fair, a fairly unknown type of uh, play caller. Teams didn't know what to expect from him. So I think that's the biggest adjustment from first-year head coaches, first-year play callers. How do you keep teams guessing in years two, three, four, five? How do you keep it fresh? I think that's one of the obstacles that Matt Nagy is dealing with right now. 
He's got to figure out that offense. I, I still have more trust in the defense because they got playmakers all across the board. They've got a defensive coordinator that has a lot of experience in Chuck Pagano. But that Bears offense, the way this division is playing, the Bears can't afford to keep falling down in the division. Because now the Vikings, they're another team that's playing really, really good as of late. Kirk Cousins especially playing some solid ball as of late. I mean, these are his numbers, his last uh, three games, going back to the Giants at the beginning of October. Kirk's having himself a month in the month of October. Uh, Giants, he was 22-27, 306 yards, two touchdown passes. Uh, against uh, Philly, 22-29, of 29, four touchdown passes, one interception. Against Detroit this past weekend, 24-34, of 34, uh, with 337 yards passing and four touchdown passes. So a lot of talk about Kirk Cousins. Is he an MVP candidate right now? Not to pick on him or anything, but let's let's pump the brakes here a little bit because we've seen plenty of football from Kirk Cousins. We've seen good stretches from Kirk Cousins before. Well, let, let's pump it up out here a little bit just after three games because look at the defenses he's faced too. They're not the best in pass defense. Now give credit to where credit's due. Kirk Cousins is playing better ever since kind of being called out or at least the pass offense being called out by some of the receivers. Adam Thielen, Diggs. So... Cousins and, and that and, and that offense from the Vikings have responded since that ugly performance against Chicago on September 29th where they lost 16-6. They've responded nicely. But let's pump it up here a little bit or pump it a little bit, talking about Kirk Cousins as an MVP uh, candidate right now. He's playing very well, playing very well. But we've also seen stretches like this from Kirk Cousins before. And Minnesota has shown stretches of, you know, where they almost panic. If they lose a game or they lose a couple in a row, they kind of get a little panicky. So while I'm giving credit to where credit's due with Minnesota, I still want to see a little bit more consistency from Kirk Cousins. Can he continue to do this? If they could continue to do this, they, to me, are one of the more dangerous teams in the NFC. With that passing game, those receivers, and that running game, we know the defense is solid as well. Then the Lions. You got the Lions, who a couple weeks ago they had a chance to be number one in the division uh, with a victory over the Packers. Say what you want about uh, with the officials. I get it. There were some questionable calls at the end. But that doesn't change the stats. That doesn't change the records or the standings. They're now last in the division with their loss against Minnesota this past week, too. So Lions, now they're they're making some trades. You know, Diggs going uh, to Seattle. Are they becoming sellers at this point? I don't think they're necessarily becoming sellers. It is a questionable trade to trade one of your younger safeties, one of your younger defensive players in the conference to the Seattle Seahawks after spending a lot of money on your defense uh, this past offseason. So a little bit questionable there. Uh, but I still think Detroit is going to be uh, an annoying team, for uh, for best way to put it, for teams going up against the Lions. They're not going to be easy outs. They're 2-3-1 and one right now. They've got some ground to make up. But they're going to be a pesky team. It's not going to be a pushover team for anybody that has to go up against the Detroit Lions. And that includes the rest of the teams in the division. Packers, Vikings, Bears. Lions are still going to be a pesky team. But I am curious to see how this team responds from the trade of Diggs, of Quandre Diggs. Because there are some players uh, vocal about it on, on, on social media, caught off guard, not happy about it. How can they respond to that now? NFC North is becoming a... A pretty fun division to watch so far this season. Second down. 
For a second down, let's take a look at the AFC. So we've got the New England Patriots uh, on top in, in the AFC, undefeated, sitting there at 7-0. and So who's the best, second-best AFC team? And is there a big drop-off between the Patriots and the rest of the AFC field? Uh, second part, yes, there is a big drop-off between the Patriots and the rest of the AFC field. you got Tom Brady. They've now got Mohamed Sanu. They've got Julian Edelman. They use, utilize their running backs very nicely. And that defense is just awesome right now in New England. Say what you want against the opponents they've played against. And, yes, they have been against a weaker caliber. But they're just gaining more confidence and more confidence and more confidence. And, oh, they got Bill Belichick calling the plays on defense. So looking at the Patriots, by far, clearly the number one team in the AFC. So who's the second-best team? Is it Buffalo in their division? 5-1. and one. Kansas City? Five and two. How long is Patrick Mahomes going to be out there with that kneecap injury? It, it, you know, you're, you're looking at Kansas City, and you're probably thinking, well, at least the Chargers are not playing up to expectations this year. Denver's not playing well. Raiders are maybe playing a little bit better than what we all kind of thought. And it was just a couple plays. Uh, talk about a swing from that game against uh, Green Bay this past weekend. That Derek Carr fumble that changed the landscape of that whole game. So Raiders are going to be a pesky team. But Kansas City, you know, if you're going to be playing without Patrick Mahomes for a couple games, at least that division, especially the Chargers, are not playing up to the expectations that they had. So they should be able to get by with Patrick Mahomes missing a couple games. Are they the second-best team? Is it Baltimore? That was an impressive victory over Seattle this past week. The Colts, big win over the Houston Texans to now be the first-place uh, team in the AFC South, sitting there at 4-2. and two. You know, Then you got the Texans at 4-3. and three. I think the Bills, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Colts, the Texans, or that group of teams are in the mix for the second best. I might go Baltimore right now as my second best team. Adding Marcus Peters to that defense, to that secondary. Lamar Jackson playing on some unreal football right now. So I might go with Baltimore at this point as the second best team in the AFC. Then I'd probably put Kansas City until Patrick Mahomes comes back. Indianapolis, that you know, don't overlook Indianapolis. I know all you know, Jacoby Brissett now the starting quarterback with Andrew Luck retiring the preseason. I think a lot of people kind of jumped off that train with the Colts. I was one of them a little bit. That defense is still there though. And they're playing some good football. Houston is such a perplexing team to me because they've got all the talent in the world. They defeat the Chiefs. They come off of a couple of big victories. And I'm not saying they had a letdown game against the Colts because the Colts are a good team. But it's like you, you look at the Texans and they're 4-3 and three and you look at the roster and you're like, they should be better than 4-3 and three, record-wise. So I want to jump on the Houston Texans bandwagon so much. I want to jump on that team and say, yes, this is a, a premier team in the AFC. They've got all the talent in the world. But sometimes do they live up to that? I, I don't know. And then Buffalo... Great defense. Allen, their quarterback's coming into his own. They gave the Patriots the toughest test so far this year. They're going to be a pesky team. But do they have enough talent to be the second-best team in the AFC? I think they're, and, and then you can look at some of the numbers, and kind of like New England, well, did they benefit from an easier schedule? But they're still taking advantage of it, aren't they? So there's an interesting crop of second-tier teams. I would call these uh, teams that I mentioned the second-tier in the AFC and everybody else is third or, or bottom or worse than that. 
I might go Baltimore. I think if I had to pick today, it's Baltimore as the second best AFC team. And then Kansas City and Indianapolis are right there too. But New England, clearly, clearly cream of the crop in the AFC yet again for another season. Third down. For third down, let's talk about Tom Brady. Um, they, the, the Patriots got the victory Monday night uh, before the game, though. Adam Schefter kind of making some news where he thinks this he, Tom Brady is kind of setting up for this to be his final season in New England. Not necessarily saying retiring, but just kind of saying final season in, in New England. So would that mean Tom Brady would play for another team in the NFL? Um, my thoughts on this. It is setting up. He's He's got his home on the market. His trainer, who he's really close with, he's got his home on the market. We know Tom Brady's wife, uh, for the last couple of years, has wanted Tom Brady to retire and, and spend some more time with the family. they got all the money in the world. I mean, his wife makes more than him, Giselle, for crying out loud. Um, I do think this is going to be Tom Brady's final season. Um, I think New England knows it. Uh, but I also think they don't want to make a big deal about it. They don't want to make it a farewell tour for Tom Brady because if there's anything we know about the Patriots, they don't want that kind of attention on them. They don't. They just want to go about their business, win football games, win Super Bowls. That's what they want. So I, I got a feeling they know this is Brady's last year, that contract that was set up for him to opt out after this year. So I think New England knows this. But I don't think Tom Brady is going to go play for another team. I, I just can't see that happening. I mean, we know he was a, he was a San Francisco guy, but they got Jimmy Garoppolo. Tom Brady ain't going to go there and play for a year or two. Where else is he going to do? Where, where, where else is he going to do that for? Chicago? Yeah, no, I don't. I can't see that. So I, Tom Brady ain't playing anywhere else. But I do think this is going to be his final year, and I think ultimately he he wants the perfect ending, right? What's the perfect ending? Winning a Super Bowl, going out like John Elway. Even like his buddy Peyton Manning, winning a Super Bowl in his final year. But the thing why I think this is Tom Brady's also his final season is that he saw Peyton Manning. He got that Super Bowl in his final year. But Peyton Manning wasn't Peyton Manning. They didn't win the Super Bowl because of Peyton Manning. They won because of that defense. And I don't think Tom Brady wants to get to that point where you could tell he's hit a wall as the quarterback. He's getting. He's still playing pretty good, but you could tell it's getting there. Age is getting there. So I do think this is going to be Tom Brady's final season with the Patriots, but also in the NFL. He's not playing anywhere else. That's not happening. Fourth down. All right, fourth down. Let's go kind of to the college ranks, but it relates to the NFL. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan head football coach. Uh, there's some rumors now that uh, he's eyeing a return to the NFL. So the question I'm going to put out there, if you're an NFL team, if you're a general manager, if you are an owner, are you making a run at Jim Harbaugh? Couldn't get a national championship in Michigan. It's not going to happen this year. Do you make a run at Jim Harbaugh? Throw a bunch of money at him. Is he worth all that money to make him a priority? Look what he did in San Francisco. Instantly turned that team around kind of floundered there towards the end of his final season. But there was a lot of discord within that front office. Did that affect the play on the field? So who would be some of the candidates out there? Washington? Does Jim Harbaugh want to go to Washington? I don't know. That's such a weird situation over there. Miami, we know the owner, Ross, is a Michigan guy, but I don't think he's going to move on from Brian Flores after year one. 
Atlanta? Could Arthur Blank put up with the personality of a Jim Harbaugh? Try to get the most out of uh, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones? Get them back on track a little bit? Who else would be out there? I mean, Dallas? Can you see Jerry Jones and Jim Harbaugh working together? I can't. I can't see that. I mean, what other potential openings would be out there? Cincinnati, I, I don't think they're going to fire their first. They know they're rebuilding right now. I, I, the Jets, no, they're not going to move on from Adam Gase. I don't think. I don't think. Pittsburgh, nah, they're not so anxious to move on from coaches either. So I guess, you know, right now when you look at some potential openings for next year, who would they be? I don't think it's going to be the Giants. You might be. We know Washington is for sure. I think Atlanta is going to be. Dallas has a shot if they don't make the playoffs this year. Jacksonville Jaguars? I don't know. There's That one's kind of up there too. But could you imagine Tom Coughlin and, and Harbaugh working together? Talk about two dynamic personalities. So going back to the question, if I'm a general manager and I'm an owner, I need a head coach. Am I going after Harbaugh? I think if I had an established team, I had my quarterback in place, I had a lot of good pieces in place, I'd be interested. What about Cleveland? What happens if Cleveland doesn't live up to expectations, they don't make the playoffs? Do they move on from Freddie Kitchens and try to make a run at Harbaugh? That'd be interesting. Harbaugh and Baker Mayfield? But I I don't think I'd want Harbaugh on my team when you're trying to really build it up. Like, you're starting from scratch, you're, you're drafting a bunch of players, and it's going to take you a couple of years. I think if you bring in Harbaugh, you have to have a lot of players established already. Because I don't know how long Harbaugh can last with the team. It might only be five years. Because, I mean, if you're looking at his runs, San Francisco didn't last that long. Michigan's not lasting that long. I do think this is going to be Harbaugh's final year at Michigan. I think... He does want to get back to the NFL. But I think if you're a team, you might want to have a lot of pieces in place already if you want to make a move for Harbaugh. All right, let's do my power rankings. Power rankings by top five teams in the NFL right now, starting at number five and moving all the way up. I'm going to go Baltimore. I got the Ravens at number five. I was impressed with their victory over Seattle uh, this past week and going to Seattle and taking down the Seahawks there. I've got the Ravens at number five on my list. I'm going with the Packers at number four. Uh, that offense is just gelling. They're clicking. Defense, they've got some playmakers over there. Oh, maybe struggling a little bit here uh, as of late, but Darnell Savage, big missing uh, part in that secondary uh, once he gets back and uh, kind of fortifies the back end of that of that safety group. And the Packers' offenses, they're, they're clicking and gelling even more without Devontae Adams, so when you add him... Man, that offense is going to be scary. So I got the Packers at number four. The undefeated 49ers, that defense is legit. They're at number three for me right now. Um, so, I mean, they're they're one of two undefeated teams along with the Patriots left in the NFL. That division is going to be fun to watch come down to the wire, right? 49ers, Seahawks, Rams, four and three, but they're still going to be a tough out. So I've got the, the 49ers at three. Saints, big victory on the road against the Bears. They're my number two team. Teddy Bridgewater was still your starter. No Alvin Kamara, no Jared Cook. You go into Chicago and you get a victory. That was super impressive for me. Extremely impressive for me. 
Saints, best team in the NFC right now. And number one, no big surprise, your New England Patriots. And they're led by the defense. That pass defense is outstanding right now for the Patriots. Outstanding. You know who the secondary coach is in New England? It's Belichick's son. (laughs) Could you see him? Would another team try to make him a defensive coordinator? Or even try to hire him as a head coach? I know it's like, hey, hey, pump the brakes. We've seen it in the NFL before. We've seen this before. And would he leave his dad? I don't know. That'd be another topic for another time, though. But those are my power rankings. Pats, number one. Saints, number two. 49ers, number three. Green Bay Packers, number four. And the Baltimore Ravens, topping out my top five for my power rankings. All right, for my question, I selected one, and it was from Ryan, and he asked uh, Packers cornerback Kevin King. You know, first couple of years in the league, a little bit banged up. Packers fans will always compare Kevin King to T.J. Watt because Packers had an opportunity to draft a lot the linebacker out of Wisconsin. They moved back. Pittsburgh ended up drafting T.J. Watt. Packers drafting Kevin King. So those two have always been kind of compared. In the first couple of years, it's easily been T.J. Watt's been the better player. Kevin King has been injured. So far this year, he's played in every single game. A little bit banged up here there, but he's been able to play in every single game. So Ryan uh, asked, has Kevin King kind of earned the status, kind of paraphrasing here, but has he earned the status of he's a legit player, that he's he's a, he's, solid, he's solidified himself as a good player for the Packers. So this year, 31 tackles, he's got a sack, he's got a forced fumble, he's got three interceptions. I'm all in on Kevin King right now. I think this is, you know, I, I don't know if he's – going to be an all-pro type of corner, but with him and Jair Alexander healthy in that secondary for the Packers, that's a legit one-two combination back there. This is a big year for Kevin King because next year, remember, he was a second-round pick. The Packers don't have the luxury of having that fifth-year option, so he's just got the four years. This is a huge year for him going into next season then, potentially getting the right to get a Big old contract. Big old contract. His main thing is he's got to stay healthy. The talent has been there. The dude's 6'3". He can run a 4'4", Tall, lanky, fast corner going up against those taller receivers in this game right now. Kevin King is off to a terrific start. And if he can finish this season playing 14 games at least, 15 games, and continuing the, the, the style where he's playing, being a nice shutdown corner where opposing teams have to think uh, maybe twice of trying to target him. Yeah, he's had his ups and downs in some of these games, but he's bounced back nicely. So I'm all in on Kevin King right now. The guy's been able to get out on that field. He's been a a big-time performer for this team so far. But this is he's got to finish out this season strong. He's got to finish out this season strong. He's got all He's got everything in front of him. He has the opportunity to make a a big statement this year heading into next year to maybe potentially earn a nice new contract. All right, let's finish up the podcast with my extra points. So we're approaching the trade deadline in the NFL next week. Trade deadline's coming up next week in the NFL, and we're seeing some trades. Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots. Uh, we got Emmanuel Sanders going to the 49ers. Um, we had uh, Jalen Ramsey going to the Rams last week. Marcus Peters going to to the Ravens. Why all of a sudden are we seeing some more trades in the NFL or even more rumors 
surrounding some trades in the NFL. I mean, the trade deadline was just kind of a laughing thing. He's like, yep, yep, nothing big's going to happen. Well, the last couple of years, that's changed. And why is that? Two theories, in my opinion. One, Belichick, Patriots do it. I think teams are starting to catch on now. It's like, hey, it's okay. We don't really necessarily have to hold on to all this draft capital. And, you know, draft picks are so untouchable. Yeah. I think teams are kind of seeing what the Patriots have been doing. It's like, oh, we can trade for a guy, bring him in, and still win games. And, heck, maybe even then that improves our chances to win the Super Bowl. But I also think you're seeing teams kind of, you know, maybe it's an influx of younger general managers or a different philosophy of general managers, but I think you're seeing teams – trying to go for it now before some of their contracts get so big on their payrolls that either they can't afford some of those players or they know those windows will get shorter. So like quarterbacks, for example, you're seeing teams with rookie quarterbacks or younger younger quarterbacks in these last few years make a bunch of moves, trades, signings, surrounding those quarterbacks with cheaper contracts to try to go for it now. We saw the Rams do it last year. The Bears, Khalil Mack, they got Mitchell Trubisky under a rookie deal. The Eagles, before Carson Wentz signed his big deal. You're seeing teams kind of go with that mindset. And I think trades, you know, those teams that are kind of having that mindset, even the 49ers, if you will, a little bit. Jimmy G's got a huge contract, but a lot of their other uh, role players are under cheaper deals or rookie deals. You're seeing teams, I think, realize that maybe the windows are a little bit shorter, and they're trying to go for it now. I think that's another reason why you're seeing an influx in trades, too. And I like it. I like this new thinking, or mind mindset of thinking. Because you know what? Not every team can be like the New England Patriots and just recycle every single year. You know, it's one of the frustrating things when fans say, well, why can't they? my team just do the same thing as the New England Patriots? Let's give the Patriots credit where credit's due. Bill Belichick's a once-in-a-lifetime head coach slash GM. If everybody could be like Bill Belichick or the Patriot way, they wouldn't be Bill Belichick or the Patriot way. That's what makes them special. That's it for this episode of the Man Cave Football Podcast. I'm Dan Casper. Please subscribe to our podcast. We're available wherever popular podcasts are found, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, wherever your favorite podcasts, wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts, we're on there. And please rate us. Make it a good one so other football fans like yourself can find our podcast. I'm Dan Casper, and this is the Man Cave Football Podcast.